0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Lease podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano, and I am joined here today by Pat Park, former Maple Leafs Director, uh, Media Relations Director for the Toronto Maple Leafs. How's it going, Pat?
1: Very good. Good to be with you, Mike. Yeah,
0: you know, I'm really glad that you took the time to uh, to come and, and, and chat with us today. I know it's not the best of times in, in a COVID world, so I'm glad that people are still kind of being upbeat and giving me their time every now and then. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's like Groundhog Day every day, just trying to do our part by staying home. And uh, this kind of breaks the uh, monotony of some of the afternoons right now. So it's good to be here.
0: Oh, glad, glad to hear it. What, uh, what have you been up to during, during all this COVID stuff?
1: Well, uh, currently I work for OFSA. That's these, the uh, high school championships across Ontario. And uh, we're working remotely from home. Which has been good. We've had to cancel our June championships across Ontario, but uh, we're still busy with some initiatives and uh, projects on the go at office. So, so happy to be spending my days during the week uh, at work at home.
0: Yeah, I was really upset, actually. my uh, my brother just got into high school. And I really wanted him to go out and play rugby, but then all this hit and he wasn't able to uh to do that. But my high school was was kinda known for making the offset of rugby finals pretty much every year, uh back when oh, I was cool. there. So the fact that there's no uh no well offset finals for anything, not only rugby but track and, and a lot of different stuff kinda kinda sucks for a lot of the uh the high school kids nowadays, not only just Ontario, but really all across oh, Canada sure. and,
1: and the world, really.
0: Yeah, we had
1: 17 championships on tap for June. And like you said, track and field, rugby, soccer, uh, t- tennis, uh, baseball, the list goes on. So there's a lot of disappointed uh, students in their last years and a lot of coaches that are disappointed as well. But this is the world we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah, it's definitely odd. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how long this, uh, this effect kind of occurs you know for a lot of student-athletes. We're, we're hoping to get that last impression, especially maybe even in the States, when you look at scholarships and how important that that scholarships are for them. And now not to have that final senior season to kind of show off your skills. I think it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of shake out. I mean, for the top five star recruits, it's a little different because most of them are are really have their their. A scholarship in the bag by sometimes before yeah. the junior year even starts but you know for a lot of kids it's you know a big senior year goes a long way with helping them get some scholarships uh, or or in university here in Canada to get get on the radar if you're a late bloomer so it's going to be interesting to see how you know sports and, and things kind of pick up after all this COVID stuff is, is kind of subsided um so that being said, uh, what I want to have a great conversation with you here today, because obviously being a former media relations director for the Leafs, uh, you, you worked with the organization for 27 years. Um, and, and that's, that's, Longer than my lifetime, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. Thanks for um, bringing
1: that number up, Mike. Yeah, to make sorry, a guy sorry, really feel old. Yeah. Sorry, Pat. I'll shave really this beard off and that. get rid of the gray while I'm at it today.
0: So. <laughs> no, but I think it's great because you went through some great times. You were there during during the Dougie era, during the Sundin era, a lot of the Kessel era. um and you saw, you know, some highs, some lows. Uh, so I think it'd be really good just to have a conversation about your your tenure with the Leafs um, and kind of going throughout that. So I guess first and foremost, um, just kind of want to want to share some stories. Like, what is some of your favorite memories from your time with the team?
1: Well, I was fortunate to be with the team when we made it to four conference finals. And as mm-hmm. Leaf fans know, we never did win that last game to get to the finals it's been an elusive thing since 1967 as we all know but as uh we sit here in this pandemic uh watching these rewind games on sportsnet and leafs tv has really brought back a lot of memories especially from the the 1993 series um boy that was some great hockey along the way against uh, detroit and st louis and la those games the memories just really come flooding back when you watch those and how close we really became to or came to getting into the final we were just one shot away in 93 let alone one win just one shot yeah in game six from going to that stanley cup against montreal which would have had the country so excited so uh yeah, I saw a lot of great hockey and a lot and a lot of great uh, performances by some elite athletes. That's for sure.
0: I know for myself, my when I really started getting into hockey was the the Cup run in, in 02 when they ended up getting eliminated by the Carolina Hurricanes. But that was yeah. kind of what what fueled my fandom um, to towards hockey and and the, and the Leafs. Uh, just talk a little bit about that season and, and kind of how special that team was, considering how many. Great players they had, really, when you look at Sundin, McGilney, Gary Roberts, Cujo, uh, Cabriolet McCabe playing some amazing hockey. You just talk a bit about uh, how, how sure. great that team was.
1: Sure. Well, we had a lot of people uh, come to the forefront. Uh, those are some great names and key contributors you mentioned, but the team was really hit with a whack of injuries during that spring of '02. And Sundin was injured, and uh, I think Gary Roberts and Tucker were down. Uh, maybe not Gary Roberts, but Alan McCauley really had a uh, yeah, he solid did. playoff for the Leafs after having a tough regular season. I think he had a few stretches where he, he couldn't buy a goal. Uh, yet in the playoffs, I think he really uh, rose to the occasion a couple times and scored some big goals. And then Cujo, I think, was playing with a broken thumb if uh, my memory is correct. And uh, that was quite a long season. You had the Olympics. That was just in February before that. So the players really were, you know, breathing on fumes by the end of it. And uh, you got to think if we had a full lineup, we would have made it to the final against Detroit. But injuries are a part of it. And Arthur Zerbe, I thought, played out of his head in that series against us. And uh, yeah, we couldn't beat him. He was... It was very frustrating, and Sundin had the big goal to tie it up with like 35 seconds left to send the game into overtime and set the Air Canada Centre on fire on that goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that turned out to be the really last good run. I mean, we didn't make it as far in the next two years before the lockout hit.
0: But no, just gritty, had...
1: gritty, gritty performances by Sundin and Caberlet and Tucker coming back from injury
0: and i love tucker like tucker was one of my favorite players and i fortunately had a chance to meet him uh, when i was working at tsn and and he just came into in the studio to chat with the boys on overdrive and and i had a chance to to talk to him and tell him a story actually that when i was younger the first time that i ever was able to pick my own number in hockey uh, other than you know just being given the numbers by the coaches uh, I, I chose 16 cuz darcy tucker i wanted i was a you know i was never a a big goal scorer by any means i was always more of a defensive player a gritty player such as tucker um so i showed i told him that and i thought that that was uh it was cool he he thought that that was cool too he was happy about that um but so tucker was was one of my favorite guys and i totally agree with you i always thought that if some team didn't get hurt for the reason he was healthy throughout the entire playoffs. I truly do believe that that team would have been able to beat Carolina and make it into the Stanley Cup final. Now, could they have beaten Detroit? Probably not. I believe that that was the most talented team that yeah. maybe has ever been put together, that, that 0-2 Detroit. Sure, trip. sure. Um, but certainly that 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 Leaf squad had something, and uh, it's just something that they haven't been able to put back together really since then. Um, just yeah, since the lockout, we really never really mind. came out of the
1: lockout ready to go to meet the new NHL. It seems like you know we had an older team coming out of the lockout with Belfour and Domi signed a new contracts and uh, mm-hmm. Lindros and Allison coming on board. Um, so yeah, those are great memories, but uh, they're in the rearview mirror now as we look back.
0: Alright we'll get back to this conversation in just a minute but first I want to tell you guys about the best tasting protein bar ever and that's the Built Bar. They are tasty they are healthy. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have 16 amazing flavors. They have 8 chocolate and nut flavors covered in 100% chocolate but also 8 chocolate nut free flavors which means there's a bar for everyone. They're soft and they're easy to chew and best yet they are tasty and healthy. It's a great bar for a health conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a nice delicious treat the bars are low calorie low sugar but high protein and high fiber one of my favorite kinds i swear to you i've had this one and i just keep buying it and needing it it's the peanut butter brownie tastes just like a cookie it's got 20 grams of protein 170 calories three grams of sugar and just three grams of net carbs and it's loaded loaded with protein, with that 20-gram protein. It's fantastic. It's great. I keep buying them. My family keeps eating them on me, so I have to keep buying and buying them again, and it's absolutely fantastic. And if you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you can get $10 off your first order. You can use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at builtbar.com. How different? Because I guess you would have been there. You kind of would have been pretty aware what was going on how different did the front office have to kind of go about team building uh you know from an insider perspective go about team building at coming out of the lockout with the cap being implemented
1: i'm not sure you mean mike um post lockout Like, like we're
0: yeah like well after the lockout it just it seems like it, it, they haven't been able to put together a team up until now uh, that has been, you know, really competitive. You know, and it seemed like before that there was a good fifteen-year stretch where the Leafs were putting forward competitive teams. And I'm just curious if, if the lockout and the implementation of the salary cap maybe changed things for them, and and they just took a while to kind of figure out how to maneuver in the salary cap era.
1: Yeah, well, before I'm the lockout... from from like
0: a fan's perspective, I guess.
1: Yeah, so before the lockout, there there wasn't a salary cap, and the Leafs were one of the highest spending teams in the league, along with Philadelphia and New York and other teams. And uh, once the uh, new CBA came in in 05, there was the whole revenue-sharing model that mm-hmm. really affected the Leafs. I mean, there was only so much with the ceiling you could spend on players, and we had to sign players to short-term contracts like Lindros was one year. Allison, I think was one year as well, maybe two. Um, so in a way, in the big picture, it kind of hurts the Leafs, um, standing as far as, you know, player acquisitions. Everybody's playing by the same rules. Now at this point, you know, the same goes with Carolina as it does with the big teams like Rangers and Montreal and Toronto. Um, so yeah, it certainly has been frustrating seeing how we didn't get any continuity out of the out of the uh, lockout. But uh, we didn't have the goaltending either that we had before the lockout. I mean, you went from Van to Joseph to Belfour, and then there was a couple of uh, acquisitions that that didn't pan out in the long run. But uh, Hopefully nowadays here in, in the new, you know, 19, 20, 19, 20, there's a, it's a younger team now with a, a pretty good nucleus of players, but there's certainly a window for this current team, but it's a younger group with more potential as you move along.
0: Certainly. Um, in conversation with Pat Park, former media relations director for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, so TSM put out an all time list, uh, that just came out earlier this week. Um, just curious if you had a chance to to look over it, uh, because what I found interesting was how heavy they kind of went with the historical players, such as the Busher Jacksons, Sill Apps, uh, you know, Red Horner, all those kind of guys that were, you know, around and uh, back, like born during the World War eras. Um, and playing during the world war eras compared to the guys in the last maybe 30 years like I know I, I took a look at the the D the last defenseman that was on that team the last time that they played was Boreas Salming in 1989 not a single defenseman playing for the Leafs after Boreas Salming that made this list um, personally I thought that a guy like caberlet whom you know very well obviously you know kind of played through your whole tender with the team um I thought he was a snub. Did you feel that there was any snubs from from maybe the the eras uh, in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands that probably maybe should have been on the team?
1: Well, they said a precursor that one active player had to be on the, the roster that they chose. So I thought it would have been better if they had Riley on the defense core instead of maybe Alan Stanley. And then Mm -hmm. that way you could free up uh, room for Gilmore and Sittler, well, one of Gilmore and Sittler to be on in the forward spot. Uh, It was certainly weighted heavily towards Stanley Cup's one and and trophies, hardware, based on who they chose. Right. But... Uh, I would think that Daryl Sittler needs to be on that team. He was just the face of the franchise for such a long period, you know, 10 years, give or take, whereas Dougie was, uh, less, Dougie was closer to six years, but, uh, I think they should have gone with Riley instead of Matthews and that way you could open up room for a real impactful player like Sittler or Gilmore.
0: Yeah I myself actually um, in my episode yesterday we went through me and a fellow colleague of mine and we put together our own team and, and I opted not to put Matthews on my list either just because there are so many centermen that came through this organization that had the longevity and the, the talent that I believe needed to be recognized so I had both Gilmore and Sittler on this team um, over, over Matthews and I didn't have Sil Apps on there. I put Sil Apps as as like my, I guess my foundational player, um, just because he kind of had to beat it. But I mean, again, coming from a guy who grew up watching hockey in, in really the '90s and 2000s. I don't have like a, a an attraction to like a Syllapse, right? Like he doesn't really even get talked about any anymore. Sundeen totally. Of course, I, I I love Sundin. Dave Keon still gets talked about all the time. Sittler and Gilmore were very much top of mind uh with me growing up, with with my my uncles and, and cousins, you know, being in love with the with the Leafs and those players. So that was kind of I guess my reasoning because I just have no connection with Silaps other than I hear the name a lot and know that he won some cups with the Leafs. Um, Yeah. He's regarded uh, as
1: a great athlete. I mean, he was a, uh, a track athlete as well. I know this doesn't figure into the hockey selections, Mm -hmm. but um, I I know that when um, Ted Kennedy was approached in 1993 to have a banner raised to the Raptors as the first banner when Cliff Fletcher came in as president, he would not go along with the plan unless Silaps was going up first to the rafters or alongside Ted. So coming from Ted Kennedy to be given those kind of uh, accolades to Silaps, you knew that uh, Mister Apps was the the ideal Maple Leaf, and the uh, and as Ted felt should have been the first guy to have a banner raised. So he yeah. has a lot of. um, Recognition and acclaim claim for his playing career, even though, as you say, it's it's been a long time since uh, he played in the league. But great reverence for still Apps in that organization—that's for sure.
0: Well, now I feel bad.
1: Now <laughs> yeah, you feel bad. I should have kept him on. There. <laughs> that's what I happens when you have a team over hundred years old. I mean, it's you've got to span it more than just the past twenty-five years. But I yeah. know what you're saying
0: yeah I, I think so too and and other than that i think the the player who i decided to put there as my my current player i ended up going with with mitch marner um and i just i had him on my team just because i need a current guy and i felt like the center position was just way too strong to waste it on on a centerman so i went uh, i went yeah. there i guess riley maybe would have been a good opportunity but i felt that caberlet deserved to be on there too so i ended up having to put Caberlay there and then the left side so much stronger than the right side. <laughs> so yeah. by that, uh, Riley didn't end up making a cut for me. So I was kind of forced to, to toss in Marner as, as one of my right wingers. Um,
1: Caberlay's numbers are so great though. When you look at his oh, I know. career numbers, he's right up there in all the rankings among elite defensemen, just a great player.
0: And I think he came in, uh, when they did the top 100 all time list, he was one of the top, I think he was top 30. Uh, on the on the okay. all time list somewhere in there top thirty or top forty, so certainly revered as one of the best uh maple Leafs of all time and i'm just I was kind of surprised to see that he got the snub but again it does seem like they they waited heavily on on trophies and and cups and yeah. that's something that any leaf from the former from the last especially well thirty years but I guess the last sixty years hasn't really been able to uh to accomplish and check off their list um so
1: you didn't put Jeff O'Neill on your list
0: on the, on the wing. Uh, Is he slighted, he was, I wonder? He was just on the cusp. Let me tell you, just on the cusp. Uh, I didn't yeah. tell him that I didn't put him on my wing, but if he found out, he probably would be pretty upset with me. Even Carlo, yeah. too. Carlo, I should have tossed in there on oh, <laughs> on okay. the maybe to yeah. maybe could take out King Clancy and put Carlo Goliacobo in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that'd be a good uh that'd be a good uh claim for carlo if he supplanted king clancy on the altar. Uh, wouldn't it be though King clancy worked for the Leafs for over 50 years in various capacities
0: he you know i didn't realize that um con smythe also worked for the leafs when he he was the general manager of the Leafs for years i didn't even know that until i did yeah. some some researching and i was kind of seeing to to put together my list of who I would say was the best general manager in Leafs history. I was like, Oh wow. He won seven cups as the GM of the Leafs. They made 13 yeah. finals. I mean, this is back with, with the original six. So, I mean, it's, it's sure. not as tough back then, I guess, to get there, but still I, I I had no idea that, that he was part of this organization for, for in such a large capacity.
1: Yeah. Half day as well. He's the only yeah. gentleman to uh, win a cup as a captain coach and general manager. He's another uh, great name in Leaf history as well. There really is a lot of
0: history with this organization. You know, being an original six team, you would obviously expect that. But it's just something that until you go and you you find it and you look for it, when you're doing a little bit of research, you kind of you're uncovering more and more about the organization as you go. And it was it was an exercise that I really actually enjoyed doing just because I, I learned more about more about the team. Other than, you yeah. know, what I had just known over the last 20, 30 years. It was a lot of fun. I really sure. like. it.
1: Do you have Lee's uh, TV, just out of curiosity? Do I have it? Uh, I don't, yeah. actually. Oh, well, they show a lot of old games. Um, given the production quality isn't what we're used to seeing now, but it's it's always kind of cool to look at some of those games in black and white just for a few minutes. It's hard to sit, obviously, for three hours, I think, to watch think, a full game, but... It's always kind of neat to look at the games from the sixties and the fifties and just to see the quality of play and see some of these great players as they were on on film.
0: It's so hard to compare like like now I know growing up you always had the the sticklers who always said like oh i don't I don't cross compare uh generations because the game was so different back then but I, i'm starting to understand that as i watch more and more older games like even as far as as the early 2000s like watching you know the battle of ontario's that cup run of oh two just watching those games when they come up on on the rewinds and just watching the playoffs it's like it's it's crazy how different the game is now from even as back as 15 years ago um yeah. just seeing it's like there was wow. no penalties ever called like there's so much hacking and whacking and and there was, That's there, was right. there wasn't a lot of space out on the ice it's just so different now it's not as fast uh it was more of a grinded out type game it's it's really That's fascinating
1: right. Yeah, it's the evolution of the game it's the same in basketball you know 20 years ago it was much very much a half court game in the nba and now right. it's run out on the break and shoot a three-point shot with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. So yeah. you know, in the year 2040, you'll be looking back at the games from now and you'll be noticing a big difference. It's just better equipment, better training methods, better travel, nutrition, strength strength coaches. It's just it just gets better every year.
0: And obviously spending 27 years in the organization, you would have kind of witnessed and noticed that evolution as it was happening, which probably would have been pretty cool to see.
1: Well, you really noticed it in 2005, right after the lockout, because they came in with a mm. revamped uh, rule book, you know, that was uh, with new rules against obstruction and pace of play and quick face offs. And uh, that's where you really noticed it from the time that the, the game came back in 2005. I think they've kind of loosened up on a lot of the. the the calls i mean it was just power play after power play in 2005 2006 but yeah when you look at those highlights of Mario lemieux i mean he's being mauled as he's driving to the net by (laughs) two and three defenders and it's it's a completely different game
0: yeah but mario could hold him off that's something he he could could he
1: he could but yeah you wonder what he would do without all the obstruction
0: yeah you're totally right um so a little more of, of of a personal note. So, being the the media guy for the Maple Leafs must have been kind of a a tough gig because obviously the Toronto media market certainly known as one of the the toughest media markets in the world, not just for hockey but in general in in the sports market. Um, what was it like trying to manage the the players in that market? Like there must have been some times where there must have been some real controversy in the locker room, whether it was with media or, or with, with other players.
1: Uh, no question about it. I mean, it's along with Montreal, it's the most competitive media market in the NHL and it's yeah. not even close with uh, the five Canadian, other Canadian teams, you know, running right after that. Um, it's It was very competitive with all the newspapers. I mean, at one point you had, Four newspapers doing, you know, coverage every day, the Post, the Globe and Mail, the Sun and the Star. And they'd be sending multiple reporters from each of those newspapers. So um, very competitive in, in the print area and then in TV. I mean, 15 years ago, you would have TSN, Sportsnet, The Score, City TV, the local CBC affiliate, Leafs TV. You might have nine cameras in the room. And uh, they all need access to the players, right? And uh, if you're a player, you're not comfortable with expressing yourself in front of a a horde of media. You're not going to feel comfortable on a daily basis in that kind of a market. But um, there's others, on the other hand, that just were motivated by it. You know, it didn't allow them to become complacent as players. And uh, it helped their overall performance. Um, You know, I remember... Paul Maurice saying uh, when he was coach of the Leafs that he didn't have to tell a, a winger that he was he was scoreless in eight games because it's being written written about in the newspaper, whereas if if he was playing in Carolina, you can go eight games without a goal and no one's really under your skin or putting pressure on you to score. So there's those pressures from the media that either. Uh, bring up your level of play or it can put you in a down cycle. So it's just getting comfortable with the marketplace here in Toronto. Um, Alex Kerfoot, I think uh, did an interview just this morning and I saw on Twitter just now that he's quoted as saying that here in Toronto, he says, if you win three games in a row, they're going to plan up Stanley cup parade. And if you lose one, everybody's getting fired. I so, saw that. Um, he, He's in his first year with the club, right, and he's got fifty games under his belt, and uh he's even noticed it, and he's making public comments.
0: It's true though like it's it's so true even even on this podcast, all I have to do is go on a two three game losing streak and i'm 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 done with the team. I have no more faith. You know, fire Dubis. the the goaltending's oh, yeah. not working the defense isn't good enough why didn't they do more at the deadline all those conversations end up coming uh, into the limelight with a simple two or three game stretch when you look it's like okay well Riley's playing hurt Matthew's playing hurt there's no Jake Muzzin there's no Janssen they're fairly short yeah. you had a backup in it was a back-to-back night three games in four nights and You know, like there's so much more that really you need to look into it. And it's not the end of the world to go on a three-game stretch. There's always more context that you should be putting into it. But at the same time, Leafs fans and Leafs media very irrational people. (laughs) They don't think rationally, and they just automatically jump uh, jump down the throats of, of Kyle Dubas. And for the first part of the season, it was really Mike Babcock. And then once he was let go, all the blame started being shot down to do this so um i i'm yeah
1: next man up right I think pretty
0: much it, exactly but- like, i i totally get it like i'm i'm one of those people who sometimes are very irrational uh, about the team but it's just because it's such a rabid fan base and they care so much and it's a team that you know currently i think has aspirations to win a cup maybe not this year but certainly in the near future and when they go and and they start playing awful and, and you know, like that game where they lost four, uh, to, nothing to Pittsburgh and looked awful or five, one to Pittsburgh looked awful. You know, it's, it's just, you hate to see it, but then the f- next week they go and, and they have a big four, nothing win against Tampa and Florida and Pittsburgh sure. and you're sure. all happy again. So it's, it's really, it's, it's the ebbs and flows of the season. And uh, I think I'm sure it's not, much different now than it than it was back then
1: oh it was very much the same um i think social media nowadays just kind of amplifies everything a bit more but um i remember there was uh, a game that we played on home ice i think it was against vancouver and we won a game that we won that night and then in the next day's paper one of the papers said leafs uh beat vancouver handily four to one or something like that and the other paper said leafs look sluggish in four to one win over canucks (laughs) so it's kind of like well which one is it they won the game which is great but you're getting two assessments that are wildly (laughs) in in not not aligned and uh that's what the fan base is reading i mean if you're on your lunch break and you're picking up the newspaper, one guy reads that they look sloppy and underperformed and your coworkers reading that they were, you know, full marks for the win and uh, everything was clicking on the special teams and they win four to one. So you got a wide range of opinion and uh, views in this market. That's for sure.
0: I feel like that happens now even more and it's amplified with, you know, advanced analytics where you could look and say, "Oh, look, they won." You know, four to one. That's that's awesome. They played great. They won the game. But then you look at the yeah. analytics people, and they'll say, "Ah, they got lucky. A couple of bounces. Their their, uh, Corsi wasn't great. They're outshot. They're outplayed. And that's yeah. where you get the the negativity coming in, even though they got the full two points and got the win. Um, but it's it's really interesting. Yeah. I I find it funny that the team Corsi and team Eye Test is is still going to be a, a good battle going forward for a, a lot of hockey fans. Um, I kind of lie in the it. middle myself. I think that's the best place to lie. I think they both have their merits. Um, I have a really good uh, a good friend who coaches in, in the OHL, uh, and he's a big uh, – he worked for leads before moving into the OHL. And if you're not familiar with Leads, they're uh, a big no. analytics company um, in St. Catharines. But I think that's also where um, – Chaka's, the Chaka family owns that if I'm not mistaken so he ended up parlaying that into a general manager position with the Coyotes but he's under the impression and he believes and he keeps telling me you know it's just added information Um, it's nothing to to take it as it is you just kind of you you watch it and you hope that that information matches what you're watching. And if it's not, then you can look into it and dig into the analytics a little bit more. And, and if someone's playing bad, dig into the analytics a little bit more and try and use it to, to justify why yeah. it is as opposed to it being the only reason um, or it being the only fact to, to take into, into account when you're trying to discuss play of a team or of players. Yeah. So it's really interesting.
1: Yeah and and the stats were uh that show you know um zone entries the percentage of of zone entries and and that kind of team tactical information that's kind of cool but uh i guess i don't know much about about it. i guess the league is coming out with these new um monitors where they're going to be able to gauge just about everything the player does on the ice how many miles he skates during the course of the game and, heart rate and all that kind of information. So that's going to be curious to see down the road. It's coming soon from what they said at the all-star game this year.
0: Yeah, that should be, that should be really cool. And I know actually when watching the NFL draft, they were talking about um, how much they're starting to use that type of advanced analytics. And they had like uh, during the, because obviously the the scouting combine was, was good and the senior bowl and all that for the NFL, but there was no uh, pro day visits and stuff. So when it came to that, it was kind of, You had to resort to other alternatives to try and do a little bit of last minute scouting to try and get a leg up on the competition and and try and fully scout these people as much as you could. And what they were doing was one coach had had said that um, they actually looked at because they put this player tracking data on these players when they were at the senior bowl. And during live games, it could actually see you know the type of routes they were traveling, how fast they were traveling, and yeah. doing um and really studying them in gameplay and I think it's really interesting to see how that technology is being worked into, into other sports. And now I guess it's, it's going to work its way into hockey, which is going to be great. It's always, it's always good to have more information and that's all these advanced analytics are is, is more information at your disposal. um, And it's, it's fantastic Uh, in conversation with, with Pat Park, former media relations manager for the Toronto Maple Leafs. um, So let's kind of just talk about the, the Leafs of, of today. Uh, I think we kind of discussed it a little bit how this is a team who I believe there are high aspirations for um, in the coming years, obviously with superstars like Marner, Matthews, uh, Riley, um, Freddie Anderson now also cementing himself as as a top 10 goalie in the league. William Nylander having a great season. Uh, how do you think that this team uh, will fare in the next couple of years? What are your thoughts on the team?
1: Well, I like the fact that they got some sandpaper this year with Clifford and Muzzin the year before. Um, I just don't know if the style is really conducive to going far in the playoffs. I mean, playing Boston again, which is, as we all know, a very physical team, I just, uh, I think they need some reinforcements with this, the physical element of their roster. Um, easier said than done but uh even some of the players that they talk about that are their top prospects like robertson out of uh, peterborough i believe it is i mean yeah he's had a great year putting the puck in the net in the ohl but i don't think he's very big i think he's only like five nine or five ten so yeah
0: he's a smaller guy they do
1: they do have a lot of players that are of the same uh makeup and uh it's too bad that we're not we may not see a playoff series that's going to give you a barometer of where they need to go with their roster composition but still think they need help on the the back end and uh I think they need more grit up front but they're they're on the right path I mean they they are super skilled and you see it all the time the visiting team coach when he comes into Toronto talks about how dangerous they are and with their elite skill up front they're they're never out of a hockey game. Um, and I think it's important for Frederick Anderson to get a playoff win under his belt to win a round mm-hmm. so that he can take the next step. But um, until he does that, uh, you're not going to really get the full reading on Freddie Anderson. He, terrific skills and size. and And he's at the right age right now to start winning playoff rounds. But, He's got to go out and do it first.
0: Are you getting a read about whether or not you think the the NHL is going to continue and and go through a playoffs? I know that they've said that they would prefer to to uh finish the season and and reward a Stanley Cup this season, but you really you never know what's going on with COVID and and how things are going to play out over the next few weeks, but you know, do you have any any indications of whether or not you think that they're they're going to finish out the year or not?
1: no i don't mike i'm i just read what uh comes across the wire and it would appear that there's a lot of obstacles to overcome yeah um, and they and they've been off the ice for such a long period of time what is it seven weeks now or eight that's,
0: weeks I mean, yeah on the 13th I, I guess it'll be
1: yeah i don't have a lot of optimism but i don't know anything i i i I, don't, uh, I just follow the headlines that pop up on my phone and uh, come across the wire on uh, Sportsnet and TSN, but it's really disappointing, but what can you do? I mean, this is uh, something we haven't seen in the world since like 1919, so there's a lot of people out of work and uh, people that have lost their lives, and uh, I don't think as hockey fans we should be, putting that as our first priority we need to all take care of each other first but disappointing that we're not going to see a resolution of the season possibly
0: yeah and you know it just there's some optimism and some pessimism coming from a lot of different parties and i think uh at the end of the day i think you're right we just you got to do what's what's best for humanity as opposed to just trying to finish out the season for you know for the for the stockholders and yeah. the wallets and all the advertisers and, and the league's uh, business model, I guess. And I don't know. I, I think it, it seems like every other day I'm changing my mind based on what I'm reading. You know, sometimes I, I see you know, Sportsnet or TSN will come out with a story about, you know, Bettman talking and he'll do an interview and he seems very optimistic, wants to get something done. They have this phase two that they've developed and they're talking about yes. hosting these hub cities. And, and it just seems like they're they're trying to do a lot of different things to, to finish out a season, which I like. It seems like maybe eventually if you try long enough, you'll might figure out a, a solution or a situation, or maybe the government ends up easing a lot, of, a lot of things. I know that Ontario started opening up some businesses today, um, some storefront businesses. So maybe, you know, over the course of the month, more stuff starts to open the The restrictions start to lift. And maybe that means that, you know, sports will be able to play. Obviously, I don't think there's gonna be any fans for the rest of the season, uh, regardless if, if a playoffs happens or not. But I think it still would be nice for there to be games and something to watch while people are off work and and out of work and looking for something to do. Um, I I just – no, I miss hockey at the end of the day. I really miss hockey. Yeah, watching –
1: if it does come back, it'll be strange for the first couple of games to see them played without any fans. But I think by the third or fourth game, I think as a viewer, you'll probably get used to it. But uh, it'll be such a (laughs) – stark change uh, to see games televised with no fans uh, in the crowd totally in the, in the seats
0: I, I remember i think it was i think it was in base yeah it was in baseball a few years ago i can't remember the teams that were playing but they had to play without fans um and it was just super eerie and quiet and awkward. You could hear them like yelling to to do shifts and, and you know, turn two, turn two. And like, you uh-huh. could literally hear everything that was going on. And I know that's been a topic of conversation about, you know, sometimes there's some stuff that's set out on the ice that you probably don't want the cameras picking up. Um, and usually the crowd noise will kind of drown it all out. But now... I, you're gonna have to kind of watch your mouth if if you're someone out there who likes to chirp to get under some people's skin and agitator, because some of the stuff does well, cross a line if it gets public.
1: Well, the Houston Astros might really benefit. I mean, they could. The batter can really hear the banging of the garbage can that much more clearly <laughs> when they're at bat. I would say
0: they might uh, hit nine
1: runs a game if they come back with the empty stance.
0: That's a good point. That's a really good point. Oh, I never thought of that. That's funny. That's a mess. That's just a mess there. They may be the most beneficial team, though, because after all this, because going into the baseball season, just I guess to veer off at least a little bit to go back off that point, yeah. there was so much scrutiny on the Astros. Everybody was talking about how they're going to get beamed at least twice Certainly a game. Well. Um, and and that was all people could talk about before before this all hit. And all of a sudden now, like, that just seems, okay, they're banging trash cans to to get a leg yeah. up and, and ended up winning a World Series out of it. I guess that's not such a big deal. It could be worse, you know? There could be a pandemic where everyone's out of work yeah. and we don't even get to watch baseball. So They'll be coming uh, back to
1: a more compassionate world. <laughs> Maybe uh, <yeah. laughs> the feelings exactly. won't be uh, so strong against them. But, yeah, what a messy ordeal that whole thing was.
0: Oh yeah, um, that's right, a whole Pat. other uh, podcast, Mark. Exactly, exactly. We'll leave that for uh Locked On Astros. I think they got uh, their own Astros podcast, so they probably talk about it quite extensively over there on Locked On Astros. Uh, oh, I think uh, that was a great conversation there, and leave it there. I think we got quite a bit, uh, quite a bit through our conversation. Got a lot out of it, and, and it was really fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting with me.
1: No problem, Mike. Thanks for having me
0: yeah of course alright that's gonna do it for us here today on the podcast I'd like to thank you guys for listening and supporting the show you can subscribe to the Locked On Leaves podcast on all podcasting platforms and receive daily leaves content you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Leaves follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck uh, and also if you're still looking for more of a hockey fix you can check out the Locked On NHL podcast for your latest news and notes around the NHL check it out that's Locked On NHL but that's gonna do it for us today later this week uh, I'll have another episode for you guys possibly tomorrow but until then keep it locked in here on lockdown leafs